Hello and welcome back to the final third. It is our news and predictions episode on this fine Monday morning. I am AJ Tabura. I'm one of your co-hosts as always. I'm joined by Jack. Jack, how are you doing? Uh, a little tired because my plane from Colorado got delayed by about five hours and I didn't make it back home until 3 a.m. Yeah, that's oh man, that's that, that's not a lot of fun, but we're excited to have you back, Jack. Yeah, I'm excited to be back where the altitude is below 1000 feet and not permanently 8000 feet. Yes, I don't I, I don't see how anybody could live in the mountains for like that, at least. Yeah, no clue. I, I, I think I'm even less of a Colorado Rapids fan after just being <laughs> in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Colorado Rapids. Well, we're not talking about the Colorado Rapids today, Jack. We're talking about a, a lot of different things. Uh, the Euros, some some Copa America, some trades that are happening in Europe, as well as some predictions as well. But first and foremost, Jack, I'm looking you in the eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. We're, we're in person in an actual setup, not like just crammed together at my recording desk. Yes. Which is nice. Yes. We are currently in my basement, a.k.a. the final third studios, <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of blankets, some some soft material to absorb some of the sound. So hopefully, hopefully our sound setup is passable, at least. Jack, I mean, this is pretty cool, right? Oh, yeah. It's it's so prof it's really professional. It's <laughs> it, it's very professional. Yes. There's definitely not a Winnie the Pooh blanket behind you to soak up sound. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Hopefully, you know, we don't have to deal with any more Zoom glitches or anything. No more. No more <laughs> us like our Internet dying or something. We have mostly to AJ's Internet dying. Mostly my Internet, no matter where I was, whether it was at home or my apartment. So really excited for that. Jack, do you have any cool memories from Colorado you want to share before we get on with the rest of the show? I mean, I did go to the Olympic and Paralympic Museum, which was pretty oh, sick. Wow. So given that the Olympics are coming up, uh, it's a new museum built in 2020, had a ton of uh, interactive exhibits. I got to race against Jesse Owens. I lost bad. Uh, I know you probably can't tell that just based off of how you know athletic I am. Definitely. Yes. So, yeah, but it, it was a really fun time. I got to see actually the last time the U.S. men's national team qualified to the Olympics 2008. Mm -hmm. I saw the soccer ball that was signed by every member of that team. So that was pretty cool to see. And yeah, it, it was a really cool thing. That was one of my favorite things. Nice, nice. Uh, probably a little bit better than, I don't know, climbing up a mountain, getting altitude sickness. Yeah. Or the time when I when the road was closed when we had gone up 25 miles into a mountain and then had to turn around and then take a five hour detour to get to a location that was really 20 minutes away. Mudslides, yeah. fun. <laughs> Mudslides, wow, that is not something you experience in suburban Minnesota. Oh no, never, never. Oh jeez. Well, let's get into the rest of the episode. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show to catch us talking about all the things that we're about to talk about. Uh, on those social media platforms. Let's get into the newsroom, which is our first and probably our biggest segment where we talk about some real big stories concerning uh, what I would say are the most noteworthy stories in world soccer. We're beginning with, as always, the biggest thing happening this summer, I would say, which is the Euros. We had the round of 16 and quarterfinals wrap up, and we have four remaining teams. Jack's team, France, is obviously not in here, but we have Italy who beat Belgium, Spain, who beat Switzerland. And on the other side of the bracket, 
In the other semifinal, we have England, who trounced Ukraine, and Denmark, who took on the Czech Republic and won. We want to talk about the eliminated teams, specifically the ones who I would say underachieved, to say the least. Yeah, yep. Underachieved is something to say the very least. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, like for example, uh, we're going to be talking about Portugal, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and France, which leaves out Austria, Croatia, Ukraine, Sweden, Czech Republic, and Wales. This is all just in the, the knockout rounds. Who you know, I think those teams that we're not talking about Elimination is disappointing, obviously, but at the same time, they weren't expected to go too, too far. So whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, Jack, do you want to get us started with uh, the first team on your list? Uh, all right. Let's go with Belgium. OK, so Belgium, you know what? What really went wrong for Belgium? You know, this is their golden generation. It was supposed to be perfect. They were supposed to get some silverware. This was probably their last opportunity to get some silverware. Yeah. But the thing that did them in this time Injuries. It's just injuries. Uh, KDB was out for the first game and a half. They were able to cope without him, but he clearly wasn't the exact same as usual in mm-hmm. later games. They lost Eden Hazard to a hamstring injury in the round of 16, and they lost Timothy Castagna, their left wing back, on the first day of the tournament. That that was a big loss because he had scored that day as well, if I'm remembering correctly. So, you know, that, that definitely didn't help. Plus... I I think their aging backline really didn't do them favors against Italy. Italy have been really good at playing with possession and making something of it, exploiting, uh, you know, a backline that stays up high. Belgium's backline stayed up relatively high, I think, for most of the tournament. And because of that, their the pace was kind of exploited and it really hurt them. Right. Yeah. So Belgium's backline just didn't help them. Thibaut Courtois was able to save them on a few occasions, but, you know, it, he wasn't always able to do it for them. And because of that, you know, I, I think Belgium's golden generation might have finally had its last hurrah, really. They have some exciting prospects coming up, but not really many in defense, which is the issue for them. Mm-hmm. And can they be proud at this tournament? Eh, I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure of the right way to describe if, if they should be super proud this t- this tournament or if they should be a little disappointed. I, I think they're probably a little bit disappointed because they are ranked as the number one team in the world. Right. Exactly. They are. They, they should do pretty well. But, you know, losing to Italy at this point, I don't think many people are too ashamed to lose to Italy, given how good they've been this tournament. So, you know, I, I, I think that they can have some points of pride, especially like. Coming back against Denmark in the in the group stage, you know, playing well against Russia, Finland. Uh, yeah, but ultimately, it's it's just a little disappointing, really. Mm-hmm. Would you say that Belgium's golden generation, like, is this actually their last hurrah? Or do you think they have a chance at winning the World Cup next year? No, I, I, the defense, really? the defense okay. for Tongan, Alderweireld, they're, they're really reaching the, the last eclipses of their career or last the the last hurrah of their career especially Jan Vertonghen he's yeah. 36 going on 37 this year uh-huh and Toby Alderweireld is 33 34 right alongside with him I'm pretty sure I could be terribly wrong on Alderweireld's age but I know they're they're getting up there yeah so. they're not getting any younger that's that's definitely for sure uh so, so that is Belgium they they lost to Italy in the quarterfinals uh, but they did beat uh, 
Portugal on their way to the quarterfinals. They the, did. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, in, but, the, in the round of 16. Yeah, it was a 1-0 Torgan Hazard wonder goal. And if I have to say like one really good thing about a Belgium going forward, it's probably Torgan Hazard who's yeah. going to carry on that kind of legacy of his brother. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly who I want to talk about. Not Torgan Hazard, you know, <laughs> I think he's going to do great things again for Dortmund. But I want to talk about Portugal, who Belgium did beat in the round of 16. Uh, we're talking about what went wrong and whether the fans could be happy or sad about their performance. That's basically the format that we're going with. So what went wrong for Portugal? Well, at first in their uh, th- their game against Belgium, it seemed like they were kind of on equal footing with the Belgians. They were able to contain Hazard and Lukaku. And without KDB, it seemed like Portugal was poised to at least come back and equalize after, you know, Thorgan Hazard scored the opener. But they didn't just like the rest of the tournament their attack just couldn't really muster anything up their attack was you know captained by their head coach santos and he managed to create a team made up of silva jota ronaldo sanchez and mutinho and he made that team look so pedestrian in my opinion there were errant crosses with no real creativity to create a comprehensive attack and that's just been the story of their tournament and now they're out like fairly early for a team of really this quality for the defending champions as well for the defending champions for the defending nations league champions too i mean this is a team that should be doing better than round of 16 exit and so when you look at whether the fans can be happy or sad sad about the result happy that this might mean that santos is gone in the near future and then sad again when you realize this might be Ronaldo's. Well, definitely will be Ronaldo's last Euros. So that's how I see it. Jack, Portugal's been disappointing. W- what else can you add to that? Well, I was actually going to ask you a quick question yeah, about sure. Ronaldo because you did mention him. Do you, I, I'm, I, I have an opinion on this, but do you think it could be good that Ronaldo is this could be his last Euros? Do you think it could be potentially good for Portugal? I, I think I think that it's really interesting to think about and i've been thinking about this for like the past couple weeks where there's this phenomenon i'm I'm forgetting who came up with it i think it's like the patrick ewing theory basically saying that some teams just do better without their their best player because they they either over rely on them or just this weird psychological motivation for them to do better i think right after ronaldo retires portugal might do better because they'll be able to kind of diversify their attack i mean ronaldo was still at however old he is their top scorer at the the euro 37 i think at this yeah. point so it, it, it's not like they can rely on him forever so once they get him out and really diversify the attack it it, it could be good for them uh, what do you think about that i i'm i'm of the same opinion same thing for like argentina as well i i think once messi and ronaldo retire from international play their teams will kind of be freed because <laughs> the the philosophy is no longer pass the ball to X player and have them do something. It's how can we use the strengths as our team to win, right? Because, you know, you, you could kind of see it with Portugal this tournament. The only really source of goals for them was Ronaldo. Yeah, that that's about it. And uh, you, you could see like, a, you know, a, they everything went through him. Mm-hmm. If it, their their main strategy was like get a penalty and have Ronaldo convert it, it seemed because yeah. four of his goals were from penalties. I think, you know, I I mean that I I think it's about it's could be good because they have so many exciting young talents. Joao Felix, for example, 
Diogo Jota, uh, Renato Sanchez, Bruno Fernandez, I guess as well, technically. Yeah. No, not too young. But not yeah, too young, but, you. but still you. stars like that, that can still do good things. And, and I think that it could be a blessing in disguise. All right. Well, next team up is Germany. Jack, how, how did you see Germany's exits to England? Can they be disappointed? This is what Joachim Lowe's last game ever. Last game. Yep. Last game as ever. As German manager. Can the fans be proud about this performance? Can they be proud a little bit? And okay. I can explain why. They they just didn't fully click this tournament. Uh, in the first game, you know, they played well. Uh, they, they played okay. No, I mean, like they had conceded an own goal, uh, but then they came back against Portugal and just absolutely destroyed them, which was amazing. And then they did terribly against Hungary or not terribly, but pretty poorly. And then they played really bad against England. So the, so it, it's tough to say, like, if they had a good tournament or a bad tournament because it was so up and down. Uh, you know, they also lost Thomas Muller for a for a game. And it hurt them a lot because he he is like the ultimate system player. I think he right. connects everything together and, you know, uh, he may be aging, but he's still very good. And they, the thing that really hurt them, though, I think, is the fact that they don't have a proper striker who's on form up front. They kept trying. Uh, Yogi Love tr- kept trying to play Serge Gnabry. A, a, per, a fantastic winner, really, mm-hmm. through the middle, which did not quite work because he kept drifting out wide, leaving the middle open. There was no one to really cross into, except for when the wingbacks got forward. And then they were vulnerable on the counterattack, which we saw in full force against Hungary. So, you know, they they really had a lot of problems, I think. But I, I think they, they do have some good things from this tournament. Robin Gosens was incredible for right. this tournament. Probably one of the best players at the entire tournament. Yeah. Kai Havertz. You know, I love some Kai Havertz <laughs> propaganda. He looked fantastic alongside Muller. Uh, and, you know, uh, they, they had good moments that sh- showcase promise for the future. But at the same time, I think that, you know, they, they, they kind of performed up to expectations and a little bit over. They got second in the group of death. Nobody like not really anyone was expecting them to be better than Portugal, at least. And, you know, they, they kind of got unlucky against France. So I think they can be proud of their group stage performance. But in the knockouts, it just was not good yeah. at all. That that's that's why I think they did good, but also not. All right. So, yeah. Well, I don't really have much to add other than I think I, th- I think it's good that Loeb is on his way out. I think Hansi Flick will be able to kind of inject this team with a little bit more energy and some new ideas more, yeah. because Lowe's been with them for like what over F- 15 years 15 I think years. I think because yeah. I think he got appointed right after the 2006 World Cup mm, I, it might have been the, the 2008 Euros perhaps it, it was one of the two it was in that time frame yeah so yeah. so he's been definitely there for more than 10 years and that is that is a great example of stagnation in play when you yeah. have someone in charge for that long and picking his nose did you see that like yeah like, <laughs> he, he does that a lot he he picks his nose and like eats it too it's yeah, really gross it's, i'm not gonna miss that I'm, yeah. I'm i'm gonna miss the memes that it creates but i'm not gonna miss seeing that in real I, time i i am on the same boat with that <laughs> that that is uh not exactly the thing you want to see when you watch the some euro football uh but an- another team that i would say kind of underperformed maybe overperformed in the long run but in this game probably should have done better 
is Switzerland. They beat France, and we're going to talk about France. Uh, they beat France on penalties and then tied with Spain one to one and then lost on penalties. And so when you look at what went wrong for the first 120 minutes of the game, there really wasn't much that they could have done, I would say, better. I mean, they obviously could have scored another goal. I mean, th- th- that's definitely something that they could have done. But at the same time, we're talking about Spain here. And Spain, to their credit, is still a very good team, despite maybe their own underperformance sometimes. Uh, but other than that Froiler red card in the 77th minute, Switzerland were surviving. And that's all you can really ask for when you're playing Spain. The Swiss goalkeeper, Jan Sommer, came up huge in his second game in a row, keeping Spain at one goal despite them having an XG of 2.94. And when it came to penalties, it literally all fell apart. We had Shar, <laughs> Akanji, and Vargas all miss their penalties. We tweeted about it. It was some terrible, terrible penalties that they took. Some absolutely just dreadful penalties from the three of them. And they really let Summer down and the rest of the Switzerland nation, for that matter. Summer made 10 saves, which is the most in the tournament so far. Jeez. He definitely gets man of the match for me. Should Switzerland fans be happy or sad? I'll say happy because I don't think anyone really thought they'd get that far into uh, beating France on penalties and really getting to this point in the quarterfinals after you know, a, a pretty, I wouldn't say lackluster group stage match, but uh, a, a pretty so-so performance there. Jack, do you think that Switzerland should be happy? Oh, yeah, I, I think they should. I'm not happy about Switzerland, but Switzerland should be happy. Uh, they they performed well, and, you know, I, I didn't even predict them to get out of the group, honestly. Uh, I, I said that they'd finish third and wouldn't make it out, ultimately. I, I also think I said they, they'll probably just get one point because that's back when we all thought Turkey would be good. Uh, so, you know, I I think they, they definitely overperformed based off of the expectations they were given, but they could have done a lot more given their team. So that that's I think I think that's the best way to describe it. But going on from Switzerland. Yes. To <sighs> the country they beat, which was France. And uh, just be warned, uh, this is this might get a little bit heated for me because sure, sure. I, I have some things to say about this. I, I was preparing a video about it because before it wasn't really a problem. But then I was like, well, I got some things to say about someone uh, on that France team. And it's Didier Deschamps. Okay. I, I, rate, I rate him a lot. He won the World Cup, but then he tinkered with the winning formula. If you just won a World Cup, why do you switch away from a 4-2-3-1 that brought you so much success, utilize the players perfectly, and then go to a 4-3-1-2 just to fit... That does, that doesn't even fit this group. It doesn't even fit them. You, he tried to force it in, and it, was, it seemed like a way to just shoehorn in Benzema and Mbappe playing together up front, which did not work very well. It worked well for Benzema, did not work well for Mbappe because it didn't fit his skill set. And then also... Speaking of Mbappe, I saw a tweet going around that was like the worst 11 of this Euros. Mbappe's on it, and I'd say that's fully deserved. Why didn't he get benched, though? Why not try Giroud and Benzema up front? You know, the go-kart and F1 car together up front. Uh, it, it just, it, it it was not a good system change. It should have been a 4-2-3-1, allow the wingers to go forward because they have pace on them. Kingsley Coman, Kylian Mbappe, let them run behind have Benzema hold up the play, distribute it to him, have him finish. That's how it should be played. Let Griezmann roam around. 
it, it, it could have worked really well. And whenever they played well, you'll notice they switched to a 4-2-3-1 in this tournament. And the other thing is this squad was such a victim of infighting. Mbappe's comments before the Euros about like, oh, Giroud's a terrible player. He he doesn't pass. And it's like, well, he's a striker. Passing really isn't his job always, but whatever. I, I defend Giroud enough already. <laughs> uh, so he, he blew up a lot of stuff. And I think the ego of some of these French players is partially responsible for this loss because there was a ton of stuff afterwards talking about, you know, how Rabio, uh, Pogba, Varane, Pavard were all like fighting after this loss. Mm -hmm. Too many big egos in the squad. After winning the World Cup, you're you're responsible for your own failure. You took yourselves apart, really. Is this is, should they be proud? No, no, they, yeah, they shouldn't. Yeah. This they they shouldn't have been proud of themselves after the group stage where they only they they drew against Hungary. Drawing against Portugal is fine. Winning, beating Germany is good. But drawing against Hungary, no, that's that's not good enough. It's just not good enough for the the defending World Cup champions. That's not good enough. That that's that's what I'm gonna say about that. Do you think Deschamps is gone? I think he should because Zidane's available and he <laughs> wants to manage the French national team. Okay, he's I I don't like Real Madrid, but he's a good manager. It's undeniable that he's good. So I think we should. I I think Deschamps. You know, he's been a good servant to the club. Won the World Cup. But he's had enough time with the squad. He's had pro, uh, like 10 years, I think, at this point. Mm -hmm. It's time for new ideas. It's time to, you know, get one of the best managers of the past decade yeah. in there. Not not just good managers in terms of tactics, but Zidane is pretty good at managing egos. I mean, yeah, exactly. He managed Real Madrid. Yeah, he, that's that's exactly what the squad needs. He need, they need someone to keep egos in check and get everyone on the same page. Yes, I definitely agree. Hopefully, well, hopefully France can do better than a round of 16 eggs at the World Cup. It would be good to see them, maybe not challenge because I want to see other teams win, but I want to see France win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I love to see the best teams do the best. Uh, speaking of teams that aren't the best and consequently <laughs> haven't been doing the best, it's the Netherlands. That's my last team. They fell to the Czech Republic in the round of 16, two to zero. What went wrong? Well, Frank DeBoer is an easy target to point at. He's played with a 3-5-2 that has obviously worked for other teams in this tournament. But when the Dutch play a lot of 4-3-3 or at least a little bit more attacking football than he employed, that's ingrained in players' minds. And it just the team really just did seem disjointed with the ball. His man management has been noted as being bad. His substitutions are head scratches. And that's not to mention that the big star players completely blanked in this game. That's not necessarily his fault. We had Depay, Delict with the red car that really yep. <laughs> derailed everything. Well, Naldum, De Jong, all kind of, I wouldn't say ghosted, but they definitely weren't there to play ball. Yeah. So when you look at it, should Netherlands be happy or sad? Sad about the result. Happy that Frank De Boer is finally out, officially gone at this point. But sad again that the the Dutch Federation is still in complete disarray. And even with a good manager, I just don't think the Netherlands are still in it to win it for the World Cup. I don't think they're going to be favorites to win that tournament, no. at, at least with the current way that they're running that national team. Jack, the Netherlands, other than Frank, or you could you could bring up Frank DeBoer if you want. Like, I, I, I know you'd love to. So what did you see go wrong for the Netherlands? 
Uh, well, a lot of things. Uh, ever, like the group stage, they were in a relatively easy group. I said that all along that and you know they they won all of their games but like i was even saying they're, they're gonna get found out as frauds in the knockouts that's exactly what happened and you know they they just played too safe i think at times they try they tried this three five two because they were worried without van dyke it wouldn't be good enough and then it, it just flopped because they were vulnerable on the counterattack with wingbacks charging forward and even the center backs coming into midfield and then it was all over because you don't have Van Dyke to cover up and clean up everything behind you then. So there, there's a lot of things behind it. But, uh, you know, I, I think that this is probably good for them because DeBoer needed to go, mm-hmm. even though he's only been there for like six months. He needed to go anyway. Uh, and I, I think that this is better in the long run for the Dutch. And I'm also interested to see if this kind of thing like if, if this is going to go away when Van Dyke gets back, like when he rejoins with the national team after fully returning to fitness, is this team really better? Because it could be that, you know, Van Dyke is equivalent to like Ronaldo or Messi for the, yeah. for his national team, like without without him, except I guess the opposite. They play worse without him. So who knows? Maybe that's how it works. All right. Well, that are our uh our losers that we want to kind of highlight but let's talk about some of the winners that are still in this tournament we have uh spain and italy on one side and england and denmark on the other jack who do you think is going to a get to the finals and b win it all well first of all no matter who wins chelsea wins i want to point that, that out is because true. no matter who makes it into the finals no matter who wins every single team that's still on there has a Chelsea player on it. So that is a win for me now that France is eliminated. No matter who wins, I'm going to be happy. But that being said, who makes it to the finals? England versus Denmark. I'm going to go for Denmark. I think Denmark Whoa. have been... I think Denmark did have... You, wait, do you have Denmark winning in the prediction section oh, I do. as well? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I'm kind of spoiling excited. this. I'm, I'm kind of spoiling this. But yeah, I, I think Denmark will make it to the finals. Uh, I, I just think they have a feel-good element around their team that is really... I think it's undersold in in sports sometimes that element of like being like fighting for something. I think it's undersold. So I think they could make it. And then from the other one, Italy, the the Italy and Spain, they both have a lot of possession, but Italy does something with their possession. So I think Italy versus Denmark is the final. And I'm saying Italy wins it. I, I don't see who's stopping Italy at this point. Like, All right. Italy just look unstoppable. OK, I'm going to agree with you on Italy. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go as far as saying that England aren't going to win, get, get to the final. I think I, I'd, I'd love to believe Denmark could win and I would love to see Denmark come into Wembley and win it there. But I'm going to say England and Italy are going to be the final. I, I'm trying to will it out of existence, the England winning. So yeah, okay, that, that's yeah. what I'm trying to do. Fingers crossed. Like no England, no England. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, after they mocked the like a uh, crying German girl. Oh yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah, no, whoever, I don't care who wins as long as it's not England. Uh, at that point. Yeah. That's how I felt about that. So. All right. Well, guess what? <laughs> oh no. I have no, England no. winning no. the entire thing. No, you're going to, you're going to fuel them. Everything's just going to be, it's coming home now. Just, I, I know. And that's why I don't want it. But at the same time, you know, when you look at England, I, I feel like I, I was not a Southgate believer. Still am not. But at the same time, I think it's undeniable that he's done at least a pretty good job at building a defensively sound system. Jack, they haven't conceded a goal yet. 
Uh, they'll concede one soon enough. I, I'm sure they will, probably against Denmark. But at the same time, you know, he's got these soldiers up and ready for battle, right? I underestimated him. But now he's gotten to two major semifinals in a row. He has won the most knockout games of any England manager. And it kind of reminds me of how people hate Burhalter. And I'm not <sighs> no. saying that they're the same manager in terms of skill level or uh, tactics. But people bag on him. But time and time again, they just find a way to win. And maybe this will, this will age poorly for both those managers. <laughs> but if it's working, I, I don't know. Plus, at the end of the day, they have an easier semifinal matchup against Denmark. So it's more likely that they would be the ones to at least get to the final. I think that kind of, when you do the math, whatever, whatever. You just want a Declan Rice win. That's what you want. Yes, I was hoping that the <laughs> Czech Republic would would have beaten Denmark, because that would mean that at least one West Ham player would be in the final. But unfortunately, that, that didn't happen. So Declan Rice all the way, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go on to the Copa America. We talked a lot about the Euro. So let's, yeah, a lot. <laughs> let's quickly go over the Copa America and some trades that are happening just a quick update on the Copa America. Last teams in are Argentina versus Colombia on one side and Brazil versus Peru. We're going to be talking about those games in the prediction segment. But Argentina beat Ecuador 3-0 from a Messi masterclass. He assisted two goals and scored an amazing free kick. He's now responsible for 8 out of 10 of Argentina's game, goals in this Copa America. Pretty, pretty amazing. Brazil proved to be the defensive powerhouse that they are and beat Chile 1-0. Thanks in no part to Gabriel Jesus's flying karate kick yeah. to a Chilean player. Like, Jack, he went full on cold. Oh, I, I, I on saw it. I, I was going down to my hotel's gym when I was watching it, and I, and I just stopped like as I was walking to it, and I was like, what, what is he doing there? Yeah, literally. Like, that is, that is a multiple match ban if I have ever seen it. Oh, yeah. And finally, before we get to uh, the game that we're going to highlight a little bit, we had Peru uh, winning against Paraguay in the dramatic match that saw six goals, one of them being an own goal, a red card for both teams, and a penalty shootout that took 12 penalties to decide. There were five misses. Not exactly, uh, very Conmebol-esque, I would say. Very yeah, dramatic, yeah. dramatic end to that game. But the game that we really want to talk about, I'm going to give it to Jack, because Jack highlighted Colombia as being his choice for a dark horse team. Dark horse team, yeah. yeah. And they just managed to beat Uruguay on penalties. Jack, take us there. I, I, you doubted me, and you made me doubt myself when I, when I said it. But Colombia are kind of becoming that dark horse. Uh, they beat Uruguay on penalties four to two. Both put only three shots on target in regulation time, but no goals came from it. But in the shootout, David Ospina or David Ospina, I don't remember how to pronounce his first name. Plays for Napoli. He yes. came up absolutely huge saved two penalties from jose jimenez which to be fair was not a good penalty yeah but then matthias vina that was a good penalty and that was a even better save it was high up in the corner and he leaped for it and just got a fingertip to it and pushed it around the bar it was, it was amazing and i also want to highlight uh yeri mina in that mm -hmm. shootout oh yeah because he Went took crazy. the third he took the third penalty and it wasn't even the decisive penalty. And then he mocked the other team afterwards. Yeah. And, and the, it, it was it was just hilarious, really, to see. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that shootout. I, I thought it was one of the most entertaining games, despite being a 0-0. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Of, 
of the of the Co- the Copa America. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I also think Colombia is fulfilling the dark horse name. And I, I think, you know, I, I think it'll be an uphill battle for them to get to the final. But I wouldn't be surprised that of at them getting third place. And I yeah. think if they get third place, that fulfills me saying they were dark horse. I, I, I definitely would agree so. And I don't know who I picked. I think I picked Chile. You picked Chile. And yeah. obviously that didn't really work out for Not me. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But let's let's talk about the team that you think will win the tournament. I, I think the favorites here are Argentina on one side, Brazil on the other. Do you have those teams in your final? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. that's, what, that's what I have for the final. Well, well, who do you have winning then? Well, hold on. There we go. Let me just oh my reveal gosh. what I have. Yeah, he just lifted up his shirt and he has an Argentina <laughs> logo on. I'm prepared. It. I'm prepared for everything. Yeah, I, I think Argentina are going to win because I think Messi, he's mad that he doesn't have any international trophies to his name. I think that's what it sure seems like. I mean, he's been an absolute beast, this Copa America. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think that they're going to do it. They're going, they're hitting their stride at the exact right time in this tournament. And like Messi has only made his case for getting the Ballon d'Or stronger. And because of that, I, I think it's got to be Argentina. I, 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 I think they're better at this tournament. All right. Well, I also have Argentina. I read this uh, pretty interesting article on The Athletic talking about who needs this Copa America win more. Is it Neymar or Argentina and with uh, Messi? And I, I, I was pretty convinced that, yeah, Argentina needs this win. Lionel Messi needs this win for not just like their fans sake, but for their own legacy's sake. Like I think Messi, in order to be, he's obviously great, but in order to like really lift himself to invincible status, if he hasn't already, like a, a Copa America would go so far for him. So I'm hoping for that. It's Brazil and Brazil. Th- th- that's always hard. 7-1, though. 7-1, <laughs> but they did win the last Copa America in Brazil. But 7-1. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm All just right. saying. I just don't want Brazil to win. It's boring when Brazil win. Let's it be is honest. boring. It is boring. And I, I really wish that Argentina and Colombia were able to host this Copa America. Yeah, I, I wish I wish so, too, because then, come on, Argentina would have been Argentina would have automatically been the favorites then yeah. if they were hosting. All right. Well. We are not covering those games, like those finals in the prediction segment because we don't know who is in the finals. But we will be covering that stuff on our Twitter page. So at Final Third Show, follow us there. Yes. All right, let's go quickly on to the trading floor. We're going to talk about some coach coaching hires, some player signings that we would want to talk about. We, we're going to give like a quick uh, update on them. And whether we think it's going to be good or bad. So I'll get us started with Rafa Benitez to Everton, previously of Newcastle, Real Madrid, and of course, Liverpool. Fans already hate him and this signing because he is a Liverpool coach. And some people just don't think that he's a good coach to begin with. If he doesn't win right away, he's going to be eaten alive, like literally eaten alive. I think he could do great, but if they start to lose at all in the beginning, Support from fans is already non-existent, and we've seen how that can affect locker room morale and stadium atmosphere. I'm going to say give it 18 months, and they'll be looking for another coach. Jack, good or bad, Rafa Benitez to Everton? Not great. I, I'm not, I, I think he's, he's been in China for quite a while, collecting yeah. that, that really big paycheck. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, he's been on hiatus. He's been doing, uh, he was in the Champions League, like a, the CBS uh, Sports yeah. Champions League uh, commentary team. And, you know, he, he clearly still has that managerial 
initiative, but I, I don't know. He's definitely a step down from Ancelotti, and I, I'm not too convinced with this because Ancelotti had all of his new signings coming in. I'm not sure how he'll use them. I, I'm going to say I'm going to lean more towards bad. Okay. How about Nuno Espirito Santo to Tottenham Hotspur? They finally have a coach. They did. They got one. Do you think that is a good move or bad move for either Nuno or Tottenham? You could take it whatever way you want. I know a lot of Spurs fans were saying that it's bad, but that's only because of what they're comparing it to. It's hard to yeah. go from Jose Mourinho to anyone, really. And, uh, you know, Nuno Espirito Santo is a good coach. He's a good manager. Just not last season when he lost all of his star players. You know, I, I think what they he he was good at shoring up Wolves' defense, and that's what Spurs need. They need a better defense. So I think this is probably a pretty good appointment. It, it's, it, it's the only issue is if they lose Harry Kane, no manager is really going to be able to do enough to fix that, I think. Yeah. I think for me, it's kind of like a wait and see hire. He did pretty well with Wolves, but this is a, a pretty big step up for sure if nothing else, but for the expectation weighed on him from Tottenham supporters. The search for a manager was kind of a train wreck, but this could be very well a good hire. He knows how to organize a defense, like you mentioned. But at the same time, his defensive approach allowed Wolves to kind of punch above their weight class and get into Europe, and that's going to be a huge asset with Tottenham Hotspur. So I'm going to lean towards... Good, but at the same time, it is a wait-and-see hire for them. Next is Sancho to United. Jack, we saw him do well with Dortmund. We saw him do well with the English team. Is he going to do well with United? Is this a good move on United's part? Uh, it's it's good, but also bad for several reasons. Uh, basically, you know, this is really good for Sancho because he deserves to be playing in the Premier League. He's a good player. And he should deliver goals. So it's probably a good move for him. Uh, but on the other hand, Mason Greenwood. I mean, people have been ranting about him, saying how good of a talent he is and all that kind of stuff. Only for this to happen, this is basically the end of his development, in, in my wow. eyes. Like, the, like the, who? how is he going to compete with Jaden Sancho at this point? Mm -hmm. it, it, it basically, like, eliminates his development unless and he's probably... Yeah, I mean, it's sad to say because he is a good player. He, he's been very good. So I, that that's the only reason why I think this is bad. I think that United are missing out on that kind of opportunity to foster a young talent who is very good. And as a Chelsea fan, I'm very familiar with this happening. So <laughs> that's that's the only reason why I say this is bad. All right. Well, I I think he's a good player. I, I think you think he's a good player, too. Oh, yeah, he is. He, he's been bought for a reported 85 million euros which is a pretty good deal for manchester united that is a lot cheaper than like the 100 million that yeah. people were talking that he would go for he's a great player who scored 50 goals in all competitions for borussia dortmund and he's in the top of the world in terms of assists per 90 progressive passes and progressive carries he is the most creative for my money most creative u23 player in europe right now he's going to dribble he's going to try stuff out on the wing and that's kind of what manchester united needs but it's not all they need they right. need they need a, a good center back they need a better uh, central defender uh in the midfield lindelof mctominay fred are good for what they are but they simply just not the quality that reflects how their attack is beginning to look 
Yeah. So for that reason, I'm going to say good on Sancho's part, not great on Manchester United's part. He's not going to get them like six more points than last season. That really comes down to the defense and if they can step up. Last transfer we're talking about, or not really transfer, it's just Lionel Messi. <laughs> he is out of contract officially. He's unemployed, <laughs> which is a, a funny thought, I guess, to say. But Barcelona are in major debt, so they can only offer him so much. And, you know, they told him as much that they, they're going to offer him as much as they realistically can. So his only two options are Man City or PSG if he wants to move away. Those are the only two teams that could really afford his wages. Man City seem unlikely with how much they're pushing for the likes of Jack Grealish and Harry Kane. So PSG, question mark, maybe? Or is he staying with Barcelona? Jack, answer that question for me, because I don't know. I I don't think it's going to matter. I think his new contract is being worked on already, and it's probably going to be announced after the Copa America. That's my thoughts on it. I I, I also can't remember when I saw it, but I'm pretty sure I saw a Fabrizio Romano tweet talking about like, hey, don't worry, it's not he's he's not going to leave Barcelona. That's not his intention. And, you know, after PSG have gone on this massive transfer spree already, they they spent 70 million on Hakimi. Uh, they they got Donnarumma. They're getting Ramos apparently as well. Oh yeah, right. Like I mean, I think they're I think they're good. I think they've done enough uh, this transfer window. And yeah, I I, I think that it's probably not going to matter. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with that. I, I don't think he's going to move to PSG or wherever. They brought in some good players to help him out. Depay, Aguero. Uh, Wijnaldum, and then he also has Fati, Dembele, Trincao, and Griezmann still there. That's probably too many attacking talents there. They might need to get rid of some of those, but overall, I think he stays. I can't imagine he doesn't, or maybe he, he just does, and he leaves, and that'd be literally the story of the summer. But it would be, uh, for the second summer in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that is it for our transfers. All right, so let's get into our segments Jack, lower league, low down. What are we talking about in America or in England? Well, we're talking about both. Whoa. So, yeah, what a, what a surprise. It's not like you have the script in front of you to, <laughs> to show you that. But uh, first of all, we tweeted about this already. Uh, but Minneapolis City SC, you know, we, we went to one of their games at, at Augsburg's Edward Nelson Field. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. And now they have officially won the NPSL North Yay. title. And fun fact... They have held it for three years now. Yeah. So four actually, because they did four. Play yeah. Right. Last for year. three seasons for four mm-hmm. years. So that that's pretty impressive. And what brought it to them was a dominant, dominant six to one win over rivals Duluth FC. That it, it was really impressive. They went down early uh, to a second minute Aiden Hill goal, and then they came back and just absolutely destroyed Duluth. Really. Uh, which is a shame because I love Duluth, so I hate to see them get destroyed. Yeah, not really. <laughs> I, I I liked I liked this this win a lot. It was awesome to watch them, uh, and you know they they're in they're getting a first round by more likely than not in the first round of the playoffs. So that's pretty good to see, and I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how they do in the playoffs. They've got two games left. They are 10-0-0, not a single draw or loss, yes. one of only two teams now in the NPSL to have that. The other one is also in the Midwest division, so we're going to see how they fare against, uh, I believe it's Milwaukee Torrent, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Probably, sure. Probably, yeah. We'll, we'll go with that, but uh, anyways, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about in the U.S., but... 
a few mm, months ago at this at this point, maybe yeah. a month or two ago, we talked about fun with accounting with Darby County and breaking some accounting rules or maybe just doing some creative accounting. And the thing is, we actually have a conclusion to that story now. And Darby County, we we said that because of their accounting practices, the EFL was looking into suing them or appealing against their earlier ruling to potentially punish them further, which would see them get relegated and Wickham Wanderers stay up. But we now know, unfortunately for Wickham fans, that the EFL is not going to appeal their ruling, meaning Darby County will not be relegated from the championship. They will only have a 100,000, only I say, only 100,000 pound fine given to them for breaking financial rules. And that officially confirms Wickham Wanderers drop to the EFL League One. So some big Aww. news there. It's, it is kind of disappointing, but you know, Darby County are a historic club. I guess it's fine that they're staying there. They're probably going to get relegated next year anyway. Aww. No, <laughs> no hate to them, but it's, it's probably true. They haven't been playing that well. Uh, you know, Darby County's finances have not been good recently. And because of that, it, it seems about right that they have some sort of punishment. I guess we'll have to just stick with the one hundred thousand dollar or one hundred thousand pound fine. And Wickham, I can back them to come back up next season, even though they're missing a pretty recognizable player in uh, in Aachen Fenwa, who has been playing around England for quite a while. Uh, so there, that that's the conclusion to that story. I'm kind of sad because I liked Wickham Wanderers. They were playing really well at the end of the season but not well enough throughout it. And that is how that story ends. But that's the lower league lowdown that I that I have. I'm not sure if AJ wanted to add anything, but... Not this week. We, are, we have right. a lot of things to talk about. I'm really glad we got to talk about the Euros, but next week when we do our conclusions for the Euros in Copa America, I'll also talk about some USL and NISA uh, action going on in next week's lower league lowdown. But I also wanted to tie another story's loose ends. I guess not really loose ends yet, but it's the Fragapane story that we talked about last week. We have yet to really get any conclusive news out of that investigation. Fragapane did play for Minnesota United yesterday in their game against San Jose. Got an assist. Uh, we had some news that they were going to maybe announce it on Saturday, like what his punishment is if he gets any at all still have not heard anything it, it, it's not that the fact that it's inconclusive still that's really like kind of problematic it's just the fact that there's been no real conclusion or any i would say statement from the league that's been official about it since it actually happened so maybe not a great look for the team and mls i would say but that we're going to talk about it again some other time but i just want to mention that as because we said that we would talk about it again this week and now let's get into something I've been looking forward to. And we're going to hopefully talk about this a little bit more on Tuesday with potentially a special guest. But the U.S. men's national team at the Gold Cup. Jack, it is 4th of July. You gave me your uh, USA uh, scarf to wear for this segment. Yes. And I'm very excited. I'm putting it on. <laughs> I'm very excited for the Gold Cup. It is our B team, to be fair. But the Gold Cup does begin this weekend. So I decided to dissect the Gold Cup roster just a little bit, what it means for our roster building, and if we as U.S. fans should be happy or sad. 
will hopefully be, as I said before, going more in depth with the Gold Cup later this week once the actual teams are finalized in the qualifying tournament. But uh, I'm not going to go too much into the roster because there's a lot of names where are like, yeah, sure, they're there. That's fine. Like Sean Johnson, I guess, like is a fine goal goalkeeper number two to have. But I want to talk about some of the exciting inclusions, some of the snubs and some of the players I definitely did not want to see there that ended up being there. Uh, for exciting inclusions that really tell us something about the roster building and where these these players are in Burhalter's eyes. I'd say starting from the goalkeeper position, this is going to be a really exciting tournament for Matt Turner. We had a Greg of Revolutions recap come on this past Thursday, and he was so into uh, Matt Turner. Jack and I are both you know, pretty heavy into the Matt Turner hype train. So he only has one cap with the U.S. Men's National Team. This is his tournament to win the number two spot and potentially put himself in the running for number one alongside Ethan Horvath and uh, Zach Steffen. We also have some young defenders in James Sands, Miles Robinson, Shaq Moore, who plays for Tenerife. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Tenerife. Uh, Tenerife, of course, of the Segunda Division in uh, Spain. He's a right back. It'll be really exciting to see him. We also have George Bello of Atlanta United as our left back. I'm really excited to see them because we do need some more, I'd say, center back cover. So if Miles Robinson or James Sands can step up, that will be huge, huge, huge. George Bellow as well. It's going to be an interesting battle between him and Sam Vines. Exciting midfielders of like Gianluca Busio, who is a central midfielder who might be on his way to Serie A. So this might be his sending off tournament before he goes there. Really excited to see that. And Eric Williamson, who was the major snub for the Olympics, central midfielder for the Portland Timbers. You also have some dynamic attackers that I'm really excited to see. Daryl DK, of course striker for orlando city he might be on his way to a european move so this could also be his chance to showcase his striking skills we also have matthew hoppy who is either a striker or in burhalter's eyes sometimes he's also a winger we'll see how that turns out disappointing inclusions that i saw jackson yule i think jackson yule is i i wouldn't say he his time with the national team should be done but we at least know what he's about. And I really don't want him to take minutes away from the likes of Busio or Kellen Acosta, who I think should d- deservedly get some minutes at this tournament. We know what he's about. Does he really need another run out when he's been a part of the Nations League and did pretty badly there? And also Jonathan Lewis. Jonathan Lewis, if I had to pick out one name, is probably the name I was most disappointed in seeing because he is a winger. That doesn't start for Colorado Rapids, which is not a great team to begin with. So to see him here is kind of weird. We, we've seen what he can do with the Olympic team, which is not a lot to say, at least. And we have some pretty good alternatives, which I'll get into in a little bit. But we have Cade Cowell, who is a very young player for San Jose. Jack is smiling because he scored against us last night. I mean, obviously, he's a good player. And Chris Mueller, who scored not against Minnesota, but he scored last night as well. Two very good wingers who could have replaced Jonathan Lewis because we know what John Lew- Jonathan Lewis can do. Not a lot. I, I, I just don't think that he is going to add anything to this team, nor do I think he really adds anything to World Cup qualifying. So what's the point of seeing him if he's not going to do that? Some snubs. Uh, players that opted for club preseason. CCV, EPB, Matt Miazga, Julian Green, Johnny Cardoso, Luca Della Torre. Um, according to Burr Halter, some 
players just needed some more time with their clubs to really get like stuck in and established there. Players like the aforementioned Kate Cowell, Moses Nyman, Kevin Paredes, Justin Shea, who trained with uh, Bayern for a little bit, and Jonathan Gomez, who's actually, I believe, a left back for Louisville City in the USL. Caden Clark is injured. He might be... He, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the first alternates to come in if someone gets injured. But then we have some players I really believe should have made it, made it, if nothing else, but just to see what they're made out of, really get a good look at what they can add to this team, because this is the last competition we have before World Cup qualifying. So why not look at the likes of Leon Flatch, Paxton Pomacall, Tanner Tessman, which now I wrote this down a while ago. He is actually rumored to go to Venezia yeah. of yep. Syria. So maybe there's reasons why he's not there but Moses Nyman as well Jesus Ferreira and Chris Mueller also mentioned him my major takeaways is that this is a mix of youth and experience maybe a little bit more on the experience side I'd say when you have likes of Brad Guzan being the third goalkeeper and <laughs> Jossie Zardes it does lead into experience a little bit that's not to say it's a bad thing but just something to note Giochini and Hoppy are on the wing because there's not a lot of wing depth but you also have Chris Mueller and Jesus Ferreira who could play on the wing, but they didn't get taken. Midfield outside of Williamson, Busio, and Lejet aren't terribly progressive. I really like Kellen Acosta. I don't think he really adds anything creatively. Jackson Ewell, of course, we've mentioned is not that great. But there are some exciting defensive prospects, as I mentioned. This is going to be our B team, and I'm really excited to talk to potentially our guest on uh, Tuesday or Thursday and talk to them about what this really means for us going forward, it, whether or not we should expect to win or expect to to lose to this Mexico team or to Canada in the group stage. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, talking more about that. I think U.S. men's national team fans should be, I would say, really happy or sad. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of back out of my own question and say we should be curious, optimistically curious about what this looks like, because there are some really good players here that can add a lot going forward into World Cup qualifying. Those are my general thoughts about the roster. We're going to go more into the Gold Cup this Thursday, so keep your eye out for that. Jack, let's get into the predictions, because we had some interesting predictions last week. Why don't you explain kind of the, the scoring system, and why don't you get us into that first game that we predicted? Well, as always, you get 10 points for getting the right result or winner, and then 20 points for getting the exact scoreline correct, and zero points if you get none of it right. So first of all, we head to the Copa America, Uruguay versus Paraguay, uh, and it was pretty boring, to be honest. It wasn't the most exciting matchup of all time. Uh, it was 1-0 to zero for Uruguay, courtesy of an Edinson Cavani penalty in the 21st minute. Paraguay didn't put a single shot on target in this match. Uruguay had six. They probably should have scored a lot more. That's the main criticism people had of them this tournament. So it only makes sense that they went on to win by one goal to zero. But I, uh, they, the big thing for Paraguay this game was that Miguel Almiron came off injured in the 30th minute. And... That really hurt them uh, against Peru. I think yeah, that I think yeah. that's the major reason, in fact, why they lost to Peru. So that's how that's how that all went down. I think you know Paraguay just have rely on Miguel Almiron quite a lot, and Uruguay probably deserved to win a little bit more, a little bit by by more. I mean by more than one goal, but 
they can't seem to finish anything right now. So yeah. there we go. That's how it, that's how it finished out. AJ said Paraguay would win. He thought Miguel Almiron would be on the field that a bit longer in <laughs> 30 minutes. He guessed one to do two. He gets zero points. I guessed the opposite two to one. So I'll take 10 points. All right. Well, I'll take it to the Euros for England versus Germany. It was a round of 16 matchup. It ended up 2-0 for the English side. Everything changed when Drac Grealish came on. Before that, it was England playing pretty conservatively, wasting some of their chances, but admittedly soaking up Germany's pressure pretty well. But when Jack Grealish came on, he injected energy, which is exactly what this England team sometimes lacks. He was running everywhere. He played a role in both of those goals that got scored, one from Sterling and one from Kane. He is England's super sub, and really... Uh, I could point at Luke Shaw. I could point at Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, even as being very good players for England in this win. Germany bowed out of the tournament and England won 2-0. I said it would be 1-0 for England. Pretty close if Harry Kane didn't mess everything up for me. And Jack <laughs> guessed completely the opposite way. Germany winning 3-2 for zero points. Yeah, Jack just sighed. It's a no, no more Kai Havertz propaganda. No more Kai Havertz propaganda, unfortunately for you. But you still have Mason Mount on England, so... And yeah, but Mason Mount propaganda isn't as fun anymore because everyone knows he's good, so... Yeah, well, yeah, I have unfortunate. to say. <laughs> How about Belgium versus Italy? That's a, that was a pretty big matchup, Jack. What did you see there? Definitely more exciting than Uruguay versus Paraguay I, to start out with. That's, so. a, that's such an astute observation. Yes, I will have to agree. Yeah, uh, I mean, at least the first half. All of the goals in this game were scored in the first half. Uh, Nicola Barella came up first for Italy in the 31st minute to score. And Lorenzo Insigne, as always, seems to score really good goals. Mm -hmm. And he did it again in the 44th minute. And then... Uh, in the second minute of stoppage time, Romelu Lukaku took a penalty and, of course, converted it, which yes. was great for my fantasy team. <laughs> so I'll take that. But overall, uh, Italy just did a lot with their possession and really handled Belgium well and keeping out their attack for the most part pretty, pretty well. Only four shots on target in there. Italy kind of controlled this game, had a lot more possession, passing. They were pretty good this game. The only real downside for them and this could be what hurts them in this tournament, is Leandro, I think it's, yeah, Leandro Spinazzola. He came off injured with an Achilles tear in the 80th minute. Yeah. And he is out for five to six months, which really not only hurts Italy, not but it's really going to hurt his team. And I'm pretty sure, he, I, I, I know I'm going to get this wrong. I think he plays for Roma. If I, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he plays for Roma. What am I saying? <laughs> he, but uh, he, that's disappointing because they just got a new manager. So he's going to be sad about that. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I think Italy are still going to be happy to be moving on. They probably have enough squad depth to get through this. But AJ gets zero to two. Pretty close. Mm -hmm. if, if not for a foul in the box, it, it might have been so. But he gets 10 points for that. And I guess one to two. I saw the light here. I saw that penalty happening <laughs> for sure. That's. Yeah, but I'll, I'll take the 20 points, regardless of how the goals were scored for that. All right. Well, unfortunately, I did not really capitalize on that. If only Lukaku missed that penalty, I highly doubt he would have, but I was really hoping that would have happened. But we move on to the other quarterfinal match that we're going to be talking about. It's Czech Republic versus Denmark. Denmark's surprising run continues from barely qualifying to the knockout rounds with 
Jack, if you remember, three points. Right. <laughs> Group B was all tied two f- through four on three points. They had the goal difference to go ahead. Uh, and just really, this is a really surprising development. Denmark struck early with a Thomas Delaney header in the fifth minute. Casper Dolberg added on with a volley in the 42nd minute. In the second half, however, the Czech Republic brought it back within one with a shit goal, but it just simply was not enough. Denmark were clinical, defensively sound, and seemed to have the cinema to last, while the Czech team was really running on fumes by the end of the 90 minutes. It was very impressive stuff from the Denmark team to really close them off and make sure that they came out on top to qualify for the next round. It ended 2-1 to one for Denmark. I said it would finish 3-2 to Denmark. I, guess I was really, I guess, looking towards more goals Jack guessed three to one towards Denmark, so we both didn't get it exactly right, but we both get ten points. Do you know what? Do you know what's interesting about Denmark at the Euros and the knockout rounds, though? What? When I first got to Colorado, I ate in a place called Urban Egg, uh, and it, it was Denmark versus Wales uh-huh. on the TV right by my table. When we were leaving, we ate at the same restaurant, different location, and Denmark versus Czech Republic was playing, and I saw them win in the same restaurant. At, in two different rounds jack so. i think you know what this means you have to go back to that restaurant i've got to i have to i know sure i've got to win. fly back i've got to fly back uh, what a story it would be if they win however like we said before uh we don't really think that's gonna happen uh speak for yourself <laughs> you think they're gonna get to the final oh i thought you meant i thought you meant against england yeah i think yeah, yeah. yeah okay i yeah. i mean I, I i don't think they'll win the i i predicted england to win the entire thing i would still like to see denmark make it over them though they've done it before under <laughs> under under the same kind of circumstances so. well the next game is actually a game that we don't know is happening yet currently at the time of recording north carolina courage are up one to zero it's the game between orlando pride and the north carolina courage in the nwsl however we have not uh, concluded that game yet so let's cut to future asia to tell us the score of that and the overall score of this game Hello, thank you, past AJ. It is future AJ just to watch the Orlando Pride and North Carolina Courage match. And this ended up being 2-0 for the Courage. Dibinha, as we mentioned, scored very early in the third minute. And Havana Salone, 2-0, made it uh, that scoreline in the 66th minute, assisted by Jessica McDonald. And the way that this really turned out for the table is really interesting. North Carolina Courage have taken a a pretty good foothold in the NWSL race, launching themselves up to first on 16 points, uh, a game in hand, and a point ahead of Orlando Pride, who through nine games have gotten 15 points. And right below them is the Portland Thorns, also on 15 points. So very, very interesting how that all turned out. And even more interesting is how it turned out for our a predictions game scoreline, I suppose. I unfortunately got this wrong. I guessed a one-to-one scoreline for the Orlando Pride and the Courage. I got zero points for that. Jack got one-to-nil for the Courage. Didn't get the exact scoreline correct, but he got the result correct. He gets 10 points for that. And that leaves our overall scores as AJ, me, getting 30 points, and Jack pretty dominant 50 points so feeling kind of bad but let's cut right back to past aj all right thank you future aj 
Jack, we don't know the <laughs> scores because I could win. I we could tie, or we could just lose. I could lose, and you you would have won. So, in general, how are you feeling about the other four scores this week? I mean, based off of the scores that we have now, I'm feeling good because I'm ahead. But based off of that, that could change because it's one zero North Carolina right now. You predicted a one one. I predicted one zero for North Carolina. So. We'll see what happens. We will see what happens. And we'll see what happens in this week's predictions. It is a huge, huge week. We got two uh, tournaments that are going to their semifinals. We're predicting each one of those semifinals. Not the finals, because we don't know who's in those finals. (laughs) So let's go into the first one. We're talking about Copa America first. The first semifinal is Brazil versus Peru. Jack, it's Brazil and Brazil. And I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks. It's Brazil and Brazil. They played very well defensively against Chile. And Brazil have the depth to replace Gabriel Jesus, who they lost to a red card, obviously. But Peru doesn't really have the depth to replace Andre Carrillo, who, according to FootMob, was one of their best players in the tournament so far. And they lost him to a, a red card as well. Brazil have the blueprints, defensively sound and offensively talented. Peru, while they can score goals, have already let in 10 this tournament. That's not going to fly against the favorites when they're at home. I'm saying two to one to Brazil. Jack, what do you say? Well, this should basically be seven stone. Brazil has been one of the best sides in the tournament. And also, they faced each other in the group stage, and Brazil absolutely smacked up Peru four to zero in that game. And they weren't even playing their full strength team at that oh, point. Man. And because even even though like uh, I could say that they could do even more, I'm gonna go three to zero to Brazil. I, I think without Gabriel Jesus, they have the depth to, to replace him, sure. But he still does provide a lot for Brazil. So right. I, I'll, I'll say a little bit more conservative than the last time around. OK, OK. Argentina versus Colombia is the other semifinal, Jack. I, Jack, I already know you're going to go for like a four to zero win for Colombia. So let oh. us know what you think about that game. Well, Argentina has been incredible this tournament, especially in their last game. Three to zero. Messi played a part in every single goal in that. Colombia, on the other hand, though, has really struggled to score, which was really on display last game, where they only put three shots on target, scored zero of them, had to go to penalties to win. I'm saying 2-0 to Argentina. I know I know that doesn't fit with my agenda, but I think Argentina are, are going to win this one. Messi wants the win. He wants it. And because of that, I think he's going to carry the team again. All right. Uh, and just one other thing, Messi for Ballon d'Or. All right. Wow. Messi for Ballon d'Or. He's not going for a Chelsea player. He's going full on Messi. I can't anymore. I can't. Or can I? (laughs) (laughs) We'll see in a couple of months when Chelsea are playing again, whether or not you're back on the the, the Chelsea propaganda train. I probably will be. I think that Colombia is a good side that showed a lot of grit and talent in their win against Uruguay. However, that's not necessarily going to be enough against a very hungry Argentina side who wants to avenge their losses from the past couple of iterations of the tournament. Ecuador was a gimme win, sure, but Colombia does not have the attacking chops to keep up with Messi, Martinez, Aguero, Gomez, Correa, whoever they want to bring out. I think it'll be close because that's kind of how Argentina play. They kind of sometimes play down to the talents of their opponents, but I think they get it done. One to zero. So a little bit closer than what you were saying. But I also agree that Argentina and Brazil are going to meet in that final. Let's go on to the Euros. Jack, it is Italy versus Spain. Probably the biggest matchup of the semifinals. Who is going to 
the final at Wembley. Well, Italy are the team to beat in this tournament so far, and Spain have had a lot of possession with a whole lot of nothing really to do uh, with it. Italy are missing Leandro Spinazzolo, who's been brilliant this tournament. But I think Italy are still on top here. I'm I'm going to go three to one for Italy in this just because Spain, they keep the possession. They don't do a lot with it. Like I said before, Italy have a lot of possession. They do a whole lot with it and they have really crushed a lot of decent teams like Belgium, for example. If, if they can beat Belgium, they can beat Spain. And so 3-1 for Italy and Jorginho for Ballon d'Or then. Okay. I, that, that's the whole joke. That's uh, the joke. Oh, man. I should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah, come on. Of course uh, I'm keeping up the Chelsea propaganda. I, I really should have seen that coming. <laughs> Jack, I also had 3-1 to one for Italy. Oh, no way. However, I'm changing that to 3-2 to two just because I want, want to be different, not because I actually think that's going to happen. <laughs> I, I really think Italy is a good team. But since 2008, Italy and Spain have met each other in the knockout rounds of the Euros every single time. Wow. Spain obviously won the 2008 and 2012 matchups. They won the whole tournament, so of course they did. But Italy won in 2016, and I bet if you ask anyone, they are favorites to win it as well. The issue, like you mentioned, Spinozola is going to be out. He's been one of the best left backs, if not the best left back of the tournament. But the talent they have going forward is insane. They got Insigne, Verratti, Barella, Chiesa, Bellotti. That, that's great. That's quite the attacking talent they have. And they still have only conceded two goals and have scored 11. That right. is pretty incredible. And Spain definitely have the scoring ability. They've gotten 12 so far this tournament, but also have conceded four in the last two games. They also have gone two games in a row with extra time. And that's going to be a lot of tired legs going into yeah. an Italy team that has not really had to deal with that. Neither their win against Croatia nor their win against Switzerland looked at all impressive or convincing. So I think Italy, if Italy remained fierce and clinical, they take this even without their starting left back. I'm going three to two for Italy. Spain, I don't know who's going to be their scorers. I don't know who's going to be scorers for Italy. score and Jorginho. I'm going to say both the Chelsea Jeez. players score. Come on. If that happens, I, I, ah, man, I'm, I'm going to have to go into hiding for a little bit. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know the text I'm going to get from you are going to be very, very excited. Jack, I'm going to let you talk about England versus Denmark because I know we disagree with this. I want to hear justification for Denmark. Uh, if it's any different from what you've already said. The justification is a little loose, I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> it's mostly hope. Uh, but England have gotten better as this tournament went along. Denmark have been really impressive into the knockouts, though. They've really grown into this tournament after, you know, a pretty tragic event. So I, I'm really just this is really just based off of a feel good aspect. That's okay. about it. That, there's not much rationale behind it. I, if I was to give one, it would be that Casper Dolberg has been very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Joaquin Mila, Atalanta player. People are saying he's going to move. He just went to Atalanta this winter. He's not going to move, thankfully, hopefully. Uh, and he, he's been incredible. Just really all of the Danish team has been incredible. Andreas Christensen has been good. Uh for example, because he's a Chelsea player. That's the, that's the <laughs> name that comes to mind. Uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, he, he's a Tottenham player, but he's been good too. He's been actually one of the best midfielders, I think, at this tournament. And because of that, you know, I, I'm, going for, I'm going for that feel-good aspect. And also Denmark are really playing well. 
Denmark two, England one, and Christensen for Ballon d'Or. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's the bit. That's the whole bit. Uh, man, I have the same exact scoreline the other way. I have two to one for England. England have been defensively sound, but this is a tough matchup, admittedly. I think they got lucky with their draw of teams so far. I think both these teams have kind of faced a, a bit easier draw of teams. But they have been able to put up seven goals in the past three games. Very impressive. And their defensive stability, plus Southgate's willingness to play younger creative attackers like Saka, Grealish, and Sancho recently, makes this matchup very, very interesting. England also got to sub out many of their key players like Rice, Shaw, Phillips, Kane, and Sterling once they were up 4-0 against Ukraine. That's a good amount of rest. Plus, it's at home at Wembley Stadium. A lot is going against Denmark, and I like Denmark, but it's clear that their knockout path was a bit easier than other teams. We got Wales and the Czech Republic. That's not too bad. I did the math, and those two opponents in the knockout stage had an average FIFA ranking of 28.5, which was a lot, a lot uh, higher or lower, depending on how you look at it, than any of the other three semifinalists. All the other semifinalists played at least harder opposition on paper at least so with that being said i really i I like the feel good aspect but with england's defensive stoutness two to one really i should be betting as england because when have they actually like delivered on their promises of being good but i don't know it's 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 their mickey mouse cup this this year they're they're playing against their the wembley stadium for every single one of their games so i don't know what you expect that i think they're gonna win but Let's move on to the final match, and this is actually an MLS match. No more Copa America or Euro tournament. SC Cincinnati versus Columbus Crew. Columbus had a bittersweet opening to their new stadium, Lower.com Field. Really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> as they drew New England Revolution 2-2, two two, and they'll be looking to win to bounce back into form. Except it's against their most heated rivals, FC Cincinnati, in the Hell is Real uh, derby. So no pressure, no pressure at all. In the MLS area of this rivalry, FC Cincinnati have only won one game. But that doesn't mean they can be overlooked. They're undefeated in three games, winning against, well, you know, bottom feeders, Chicago and Toronto, sure, and drawing against mid-table club, Houston Dynamo. But still, that's, that's pretty good. Acosta and Barial are in good form. Cruz as well. Renner is not, and I'm starting to worry <laughs> about my best signing prediction. That we I picked made. him as my flop of the season, so I'm that's, feeling good. That's looking pretty good, because... As far as I know, he's only scored one goal in 700-plus MLS minutes. Not great, not great. Uh, Columbus, however, are winless in three, so maybe this is his chance. But to be fair, it's against pretty good teams. Philly, Austin, and New England, two of those were uh, away from home. And FC Cincinnati's have still not won in their new stadium. 0-0-3, not great. (laughs) But maybe they win, but I don't think that happens this week. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 1-1 draw. That's my prediction. No way. Okay. Do you have a 1-1 draw? I I have that too. But you know what? The the Derby's name is Hell is Real. And if Hell is really real, this is going to be a 0-0 draw. (laughs) That's that's what I'm going to say. That's that's what I'm feeling. Uh, I I went for 1-1. I I have a feeling it's just going to be 0-0. Because Cincinnati want to win, but they also want to not lose. Because this is the 9th versus 11th. Cincinnati will just take points, I think, at this point. Not not meaning to repeat point too much, but uh, yeah. yeah, but I I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have much other rationale for behind it other than, you know, I feel like these teams 
are kind of both meh this season. They're not oh, yeah. terrible. They're not great. And because of that, I, I think they're just going to draw in, in this one. So not not a very exciting conclusion to the predictions, but that's what I'm feeling. All right. Well, I'll add this Zardes for Ballendor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But I, I definitely agree. I think Columbus's run of form. I mean, I predicted them to get like, what, fourth or fifth. So I'm, I'm yeah. pretty confident about that. <laughs> A lot of people had them near the top, but mm, yep. <laughs> who knows? Maybe I'll come out on top in at least one category of our predictions. Speaking of our predictions, those are ours. Those are our five predictions yeah. for this uh, week. Jack, are you feeling confident? We've had. Do we only have one disagreement with uh, Denmark? And I, I think that's. I think that's it. I think that's the only disagreement we have. Yeah. How do you How do you feel about that? <sighs> I mean, I'm, I really just base that on hope and trust and pixie dust. So, I mean, <laughs> that's what I base that on. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's not looking too great, but you know what? All right. Come on, Denmark. Yeah. You can do it. All right. Yeah. Go Denmark. Actually, not go Denmark. Go. I can't even say it. No, I'm not going to say, say it. it. <laughs> All right. Those are our predictions. I'm feeling pretty confident. So hopefully next week when we uh, cover these again, I will come out on top. That is it for the final third podcast, our news and predictions episode. Jack, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find us on the social medias? Well, you can find us at final third show on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is far more active. Follow us on there to keep up to date with Euro commentary, Copa America stuff, uh, Gold Cup, because that's starting up in a week uh-huh. and all of that other kind of stuff. And yeah, it will be a fun time, especially as the. Uh, you know, the the hopefully the transfer window starts heating up a little bit more for both of our clubs uh, for West Ham <laughs> and Chelsea, because we've pretty much had nothing so far. So but yeah, you, if you don't want to miss any of that, make sure to follow us there. Uh, yeah. And don't forget to follow us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, what have you. Give us a review and a rating. And as always, tell a friend, tell your dad. I'm sure he would love to hear about the show We'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive episode. And we'll see you guys same time, same place next Monday for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.